Hello, listener. Uh, this oblong desk's occasional table was recorded before the frankly brilliant championship title win for Leeds United, and therefore contains the odd reference to things that hadn't happened then, but have now. So be assured that while jubilant celebrations do not appear in the next hour or so, they have very much been happening at Oblong Desk HQ. Q titles. And welcome to an Oblong Desk's Occasional Table special. We thought we'd uh, have a little celebration of some of the best and indeed worst uh, football songs to have graced our eardrums over the past war, 60 years or so. Joining me to do this, as ever, is Noakes. Hello, Noakes. Hi, John. Yes, looking forward to this one. We've got some uh, quality tunes. We've got some very much not very good tunes and uh, some in the middle. And uh, for all of you fans of Legends of the Game, we have, of course, got Keggy Kegel coming up uh, later on. We're looking forward to him dusting off his uh, dusting off his mullet and uh, spraying on the brute and anything else that he happened to be doing in the 70s. Uh, we have to have some rules about this, and uh, the most significant rule that we're putting in place for this special is that the songs we're going to play must actually feature footballers. These aren't songs about football, um, so things like Cherry and the Pacemakers doing uh, You'll Never Walk Alone, Shawadi Wadi's Blue Moon, which obviously has a link to Manchester City, and a very bizarre homage to Reading that appears on the internet that you may want to go and have a look. Actually, don't go and have a listen to that. It's Wait, awful. Hang on, um, hang on. <laughs> just, just sorry to butt in. W- yeah. Weren't Shawadi Wadi from Leicester? Why would they be doing a Man City song? I'm confused. I think it's just because they liked Blue Moon. Oh, and, maybe. Uh, <laughs> you know, okay, Man then. City nicked it. But we're not playing that one. No. Uh, there's also a brilliant, brilliant version of um, Marching On Together, the Leeds anthem, uh, which was recorded for the Amazon documentary last year by a band called Shadow Lark from Leeds. Uh, we're not playing that one either, but you really should go and have a listen to that. It's really quite moving. This special is about footballers grabbing the microphone, going into the studio with all that that entails. The other rule we're having is club songs only. We're not doing national teams because it's the Premier League and the Championship that are back. We're not doing internationals. Euro 2020 will be in 2021. And so uh, we might do an international version if and when they happen. Yeah, I think we should. I think we should. There's no reworkings of original hits either. So if somebody's just re-song something uh, to a different tune, we try to avoid those um, with one glorious exception, and that is Gaza. Um, we will be hearing <laughs> a fuck on the time a bit later. It means things like Terry Venables, uh, Vinnie Jones, and that risible Arsenal cover of Hot Stuff that you may be aware of. Plus Bob Mortimer and Chris Rea trying to inspire Middlesbrough with Let's Dance. Those all miss out on our songs we're playing today. Uh, And our final rule is that it's one song per club. Now, there's some some teams who've released an absolute mountain of songs. Uh, Spurs, Man United, Liverpool, Arsenal and Chelsea. They've all peppered the charts over the last 50 years. So we just tried to pick the best one from each club. 
would you like some chart facts? You normally do these, but I've been doing a bit of research. Would you like to hear some yes, chart it's, facts? Yes, um, it's, it's very much your turn to take the lead on this one, so uh, go ahead. Righty-ho, then. Well, um, our top performing club um, is Manchester United, the most successful football club chart act. They've had no less than seven top 40 hits, and four of those in the top 10. They're the, also the only club to ever reach number one with a single. 18 teams that play in the English leagues have had chart hits. Uh, Cardiff are the sole Welsh representatives and the only Scottish entry is from Rangers and that missed the top 40, so uh, we've ignored it. Tottenham have had four collaborations with Chaz and Dave and it's a unique pairing <laughs> act and club over multiple hits. No one has ever gone back to an artist to help them out except for Tottenham and Chaz and Dave. And um, did you know that the most successful chart act in terms of footballers is jointly shared with Glenn Hoddle and Andy Cole. They've both had four charting singles, and just behind them, Sir Kenny Dalglish with three. Chris Waddle has had hits in both England and France, uh, while Ian Wright and Viv Anderson have the honour of turning out for two different teams in their musical careers. This is excluding England. This yeah. is two actual club sides. Ian Wright's turned out for Arsenal and Crystal Palace and Viv Anderson for Nottingham Forest and Sheffield Wednesday. And there are my facts. It's that's that's top work. Great fun researching this. I have to say, um, just a quick uh, thing to note, and it, it ties in with the rules that you mentioned before. There was a Celtic song that got inside the top 20, um, I think in the 2000s, but I seem to recall that was a fan's... Uh, thing it's something to do with the the anniversary of the Lisbon Lions I think it was from recollection whether Martin O'Neill was involved I can't remember but I've got a funny feeling he might have been involved um, but uh, I think it was predominantly a fan record rather than footballers singing so on that basis I think we can probably discount it excellent let's discount it away and uh, crack on with our very first song. And it's interesting you mentioned Martin O'Neill. Of course, he was a very successful uh, player for Nottingham Forest. And Nottingham Forest is where we begin our trip around the footballers singing things. I'm going to start with this from 1980, a bizarre collaboration between J.J. Barry, uh, he of no charge fame. Uh, I think it was a hit about four years prior to this. And he teamed up with Brian Clough. You really have to hear this to believe it. Hi, it's Cluffy here, and football's my game. But it's more than a game. It's a wonderful sport. It's responsible for bringing together the people of the world. So let's look after it. Protect it. It's ours. It's a great equaliser. So always remember, at all times. You can't win them all. Now, a lot of people ask me, how do you and John agree with everything when you're reviewing the records on Oblong Desk? And what we do is we sit down, we have a nice discussion about it, and then we decide I was right. That was uh, <laughs> that was the man himself. Derek. Thank you. Uh, Brian Clough and uh, JJ Barry with You Can't Win Them All. A truly stunning piece of music. Um, actually, the song itself 
is pretty awful and the lyrics are completely not football I mean, it's it's almost like this Canadian country and Western singer has never, ever been to a game in his life and is just writing down the first things he can think of about it. But then it's saved by Cluffy wandering in. And it really does just sound like <laughs> he was in some in, yeah. completely different studio and somebody held a microphone. And then they just fade down the music and let him <laughs> have a chat over the top. But it was obviously recorded for that purpose. It rhymes... And it's it's like he believes it, as I, it, it, it it's almost beyond words. <laughs> and I you have to listen to this. You have to sit absolutely this love it to bits. It, it it is completely bizarre. I mean, I will say I, I agree the song's not not much cop, um, but there are some lovely synth stabs going on in there, particularly towards the end. Um, but as you say, it's just Cluffy having a chat over a piece of music. Really, um, my favourite. Uh, part of this song is the fake football commentary where um, JJ Barry in his Canadian accent, not even attempting to uh, sound like a proper commentator um, reads out a list of names as if um, some football is going on in front of him but it's almost like he's invented fantasy football because he's got Cruyff passing to Pelé and and he's just reeling off a list of footballers he's heard of. I mean, it's blindingly obvious that he knows nothing about the game. Yes, uh, Beckenbauer and uh, Kenny Dalglish got in there. I think, did did Kevin Keegan get in there as well? Uh, I think he may have done. Yeah, he gets everywhere, does Keggy. It was. It was a a very tricky team to assemble and it seemed quite short on defenders, (laughs) I remember. (laughs) Yes, just Beckenbauer, uh, basically, yeah. Yes, but Cloughy, Cloughy, I, I think delivers some wise words about football that would stand up equally well if they weren't over the top of this record. And and we've both, you know, we we're both Nottingham alumni um, from the university there, um, so we learnt to um, worship Cloughy. Um, my favourite part of. Uh, cluffiness during my time at university was i think i think it was in the first term when i was there when he was given the freedom of the city of nottingham or something like that you know one of these one of these meaningless things that that they give local people from time to time and he just appeared um outside the uh outside the town hall in the in the, the center of nottingham and I don't think he said much. He just said thanks, and then he said, "You're all gorgeous," and then wandered off again. And of course, the other thing that happened in our time in Nottingham was those bizarre shredded wheat adverts with Sherry Lungi, where he kept calling her "young man." Um, which, <laughs> that did happen, didn't it? We didn't make those up. We didn't. My favourite no. cluffy memory was the um, moment when the two young scallywags got onto the the city oh, ground yeah. pitch and he went and chased them off and coughed them round the head and it, I think it was at this point sadly where people started to say I don't think he's quite up to the job anymore but I do remember him didn't didn't he like sort of later apologize and give he them a did. big hug yeah um he did a tv and, interview uh, didn't he with them I think yeah yeah I think so I think so and he uh, said give he us was... a kiss didn't he as I recall I think he yes. just, yeah and I think yeah, they were yeah. I think they were QPR fans from memory but yeah that that was another good one although he was sadly as you say getting towards the end of his time as a legend yeah. by that point you can't win them all Brian. <laughs> uh, but I do remember him saying get off my pitch young man <laughs> Somebody who was definitely on the pitch at Forest, and a couple of years later were the mighty duo of Trevor Francis and Viv Anderson. I promise we're not going to do impressions of every single football. No, no, no. Uh, Trevor 
Trevor Francis and Viv Anderson, for some unknown reason, decided to record You'll Never Walk Alone. And this, again, doesn't need to be heard. But if you've ever heard uh, William Shatner doing Common People, where he just talks through it, this is essentially what Trevor Francis does, but slightly out of time with the music. It's really quite reprehensible that he was allowed to do that. Uh, Viv Anderson does a reasonably good job singing along in the background, but this is all about Francis. Uh, it did not chart. <laughs> wow. Shocked to know. Yes, well, what a surprise. It, I mean, anything that involves his nasal whine is not something that you can recommend, really, is it, to be honest? So we'll, uh, we'll move on from that, I think. Yes, uh, to the one Nottingham Forest song that has troubled the charts and uh, that was in 1978 so right at the start of their european glory years uh, where they teamed up with paper lace to do we've got the whole world in our hands and that reached number 24 that's not uh, bad which is a it's a reasonable showing isn't it uh, the song itself is everything that you might expect it's some footballers singing we've got the whole world in our hands <laughs> uh, and so yes it's <laughs> nothing more needs to be said about that before we move on didn't um didn't forest get to the league cup quite often in the late 80s early 90s they did didn't they i don't think they made the fa oh no they did make the fa cup when um when they played spurs didn't they that was a that was a cup final wasn't it yeah they never won the fa cup no, that was one no. of cluffy's big things that he never did that manage england i mean you know european glory and all that but uh, and now they're in the doldrums but they didn't do a song, as I recall, when they got to the FA Cup final. I'm, I'm trying to think of who they could have, uh, who they could have wheeled in for that one. I mean, I think the nearest Nottingham hit makers to that, because it was pre-KWS, thank goodness, uh, would have been Crush, who did House Arrest. So I, I would have liked to hear Forrest doing a, a house song uh, in a kind of footballers singing and shouting all together style. But sadly, we'll just have to imagine what that was like in our heads. Let's nip across to the other side of the Midlands and to Stoke City, who I think it's fair to say had one sort of semi-season of glory. A bit like REM sort of had one glorious moment in their history and then were terrible either side of it. Um, Stoke City's moment was 1972 when they released, or the Potters, I should say, released We'll be with you. It very much draws on the back home genre of football song. It's that kind of jaunty march with uh, lots of heroic, we're going to do it, we're going to do it uh, kind of vibe in the background. It's a very standard 70s football song, I think. Yeah, it is a bit. It's... um... I, I mean, I don't know. Which do you prefer? The Potters will be with you or to Pow? I will be with you. I think I know the answer to that. Well, I prefer to Pow, quite obviously. Uh, but there was, there was nothing really awful about this. I was looking for something remarkable or something. Yeah, it's know, kind of average, awful. isn't it? Yeah. And <clears throat> it kind of just, you know, it, it, it does go straight down the middle there it's a good solid and i think this was for the league cup final if yes. i'm right yes yes um uh, and charted at number 34 which is about as high as you're going to get if you got everyone in stoke to buy it <laughs> yes enough said i think um are we gonna have a clip of something else we're gonna move to the west country aren't we i think we are and this is 
I think our lowliest ranked team uh, and fair play to them. Um, they got to the FA Cup third round and they thought, well, this is as good as it's going to get. <laughs> uh, it's Yeovil Town with Yeovil True. In my heart, I am always Yeovil. I belong to the Yeovil town. Yeovil True, through and through, whether we're up or down. Because the sign of a true supporter is the colour of their heart. Day or night, I'm green and white. We are Yeovil Town. On Oblong Desk's occasional table, we are listening to some football songs today. That was Yeovil Town's effort from 2004 called Yeovil True, and that spent one week in the charts. Number 36, though, which isn't bad for a team with not a massive amount of support. However, that song is um, unfortunate. It's based on two little boys, isn't it, as far as I can tell? Yes, which at the time was absolutely fine to do. We're not the kind of people to rewrite history and no. get angry about things. So, uh, yes, it is two little boys done in a cod wurzel accent and a pleasant melody and a lot of passion and and is definitely something that only one of about four teams could get away with doing. Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, uh, it's not too bad at all. Uh, you've got a theory about who's actually singing it haven't you because it's it's not the Wurzels as far as we know but it sounds so amazingly like them and you've come up with another set of Wurzels impersonators who you think it might be there was a time certainly when uh, we were doing our university radio and for many years afterwards where uh, there was a certain window company double glazing company and other firms as well who used to hire this Wurzel soundalike group and they would sing in a very similar style to this about safe styles windows uh, i heard one for a local garage company as well yeah. so i think they basically had a bunch of sort of stock songs that cold they churned seal, out and just changed it? the words in stoke it oh, was yeah, always cold yes. seal wasn't it but i think it's the same people i think pretty much yeah and they would always end end their songs with all right yeah and so, uh, so uh, I think it may be them because you need some. They were very good at doing an impression of the Wurzels, but as far as we can tell, it isn't them. And I think I'm right in saying that the Wurzels were involved with Bristol City. Yes, they were. Yeah. So it would be very awkward to switch allegiances, especially yeah. in that part of the world where you have to be careful about that. Yes, you do. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so released basically to celebrate the fact they'd drawn Liverpool in the cup. And they gave them a pretty good game, as I recall. Um, they did. Uh, it was not half as close as it was supposed to be. So I think a fitting tribute to that cup run. And, of course, they've gone on to much bigger and better things since. Let's play another one. What's what's next? We've got a solo footballer. I think this is our first, isn't it, on this show? And um, he is the aforementioned Ian Wright. And this is his song, Do the Right Thing. My commitment's high. I paid a price for wanting things that can only be found. When you're on the line, put your feet inside. You're out your mind by these
Doblong Desk, and there was Ian Wright with Do the Right Thing, which is a very, very passable attempt at a real pop song. And I've been going around listening to many of Ian Wright's efforts, and he always put in a good shift on the football records. But also, this one was way better than the number 43 position that it got to, and I'm not quite sure why it didn't do very well at all it's yeah it's it is a bit mystifying isn't it i mean i didn't want to like it because as you know i am in no way ian wright's biggest fan um i just i just can't stand his commentary um i object to the season he spent for my team where he made half an effort while pocketing a massive wage although to be fair he was about in typical west ham style about 35 by the time we uh, signed him um but no i did like it it is a good song um, and I dare say it must have been better than many other things that were in the top 40 the week it got to number 43. Um, it's very 1993, but in a good way, which will make sense if you've been listening to our other Oblong Dash shows where we've been going through the hits of 93. Yeah, and he's got a really... It's an unexpectedly soulful voice. Yeah, it yeah, is. I mean, it's it, it, it's not what you expect from him. If you have seen him on the telly talking, sorry, but mostly drivel, it has to be said, um, or shouting and getting overexcited, which is his other other speciality. Um, then yeah, it it doesn't sound much like him. It's um, it's a very very good um, vocal, I think, and clearly they've tried with this. Um, he's uh, or or whoever has put the record together has. Uh, clearly said i don't want this to sound cheap and nasty i want it to actually sound like a like a dance song of the period and it's dated a lot better than other things have from that time so fair enough really to me it makes no sense that somebody who had that level of fame unless it was a personal decision and people were just going no righty don't do it uh, you don't need to do this and he went no i'm going to have a hit record and he didn't have the backing and he didn't have the a and r behind it because you would have thought that somebody of his stature i mean yeah. god he was uh, an england international at this kind of point he was a regular by then wasn't he yeah yeah y- you would have thought that he would have had more success with this uh, but then it wouldn't be the first time that he's basically said screw everybody i'm going to do this for myself and and that's one of the reasons why unlike you i do rate him i think he uh, he does have his beliefs and convictions and he's a fairly fairly decent bloke although professionally I can see why you would get annoyed yes. at his commentary. Uh, Ian, of course, turned out uh, for a lot of his career for Arsenal, and they are one of the most prolific clubs in terms of releasing records. Uh, they began this in 1971 with the mistitled Good Old Arsenal, uh, which reached number 16. Uh, which is Rule Britannia, wait, isn't it, basically? It's just them singing yeah. Rule Britannia to the tune of Good Old Arsenal, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we move on to 1993's effort, <laughs> which <laughs> should, on the face of it, be better than it is. It's Arsenal featuring Tipper Irie and Peter Honeygale and a uh, reggae effort called Shouting for the Gunners, which, yeah. it being 1993 yeah. and reggae, you think should be good but it's absolutely awful it's and terrible yes, as you say <laughs> unlike ian wright it was a top 40 hit though just number 34 i mean i remember at urn when we were getting the freebies in they couldn't give us enough of these they just kept throwing them in our direction we couldn't give them away because of course no one wants a a, 
a team song unless it's your team um so i just had a big pile of these and i didn't know what to do with them i had no idea what happened to them presumably they were just used as coasters or something but it, it is quite embarrassingly bad yeah and particularly when we've had a look at some of the other stuff that was going on in 93 and the popularity of reggae as a genre then um this has all the all the makings of somebody who was just desperate to have a hit and threw anything out and it's really cheaply made there's no care and attention to detail entirely the opposite of the Ian Wright effort yes um Moving on five years, and Arsenal were back with the um, Donna Summer cover, Hot Stuff. Uh, the video for that has to be seen to be believed. And again, uh, as was pointed out at the time, very few people seem to be happy to be there. That, though, broke into the top ten. How and did number that nine happen? Hit. I, mean, I mean, they were, they were probably the biggest team in uh, English football at the time, weren't they, you would say? Probably for that brief period at the end of the 90s, they'd overtaken Man United, hadn't they, before United probably got that back. Um, Certainly they were regulars in the cup final around about that time. But yeah, hot stuff, an obvious choice, I suppose, given that Full Monty had come out the year before. But I, I, even before the Full Monty, I've never been a fan of hot stuff. It's probably my least favourite Donna Summer song, and I love Donna Summer. And hearing the Arsenal players sing it is not pleasant. Not at all. Two years later, <laughs> oh, they dear. tried out with a double A side, Arsenal number one, and our goal, uh, which quite deservedly got to number 46 for one week so not even all the Arsenal fans can be bothered to buy it and that I'm afraid is their last ever entry into the singles chart and that is based on Mambo number five I that's all I could stand of Arsenal number one I listened to a bit realized what it was trying to do and then turned it off again I didn't listen to the double a side I thought I found I had better things to do that day quite rightly uh, so the other the other team that Ian Wright turned out for earlier on in his career was Crystal Palace and I think that's still where his heart lies and Crystal Palace and the Fab Four not the Beatles um, released not no, no. just to be clear not the Beatles no very much not released in 1990 again for a uh, cup final a double a side of glad all over and where eagles fly uh, where glad all over is their kind of theme song isn't it uh, yes they- Yes. They trot out to that uh, at Selhurst Park. Blackpool's as well, isn't it, strangely? Blackpool have that as a song as well, because Pet Shop Boys did a version, because Chris Lowe's a a Blackpool native, isn't he? So they did a version of that, which is much more interesting Mm. than this, I have to say. Yeah, I mean, this is just a standard issue cover uh, that got to number 50 uh, in the charts and therefore technically isn't in the charts. So let's move on. I'm so glad we're doing this section. This bit's my favourite bit. It's where we get to talk about Leeds and their mighty, mighty chart successes, uh, which didn't begin with their very first one, uh, which was in 1964. Now, I was made aware of this, actually, uh, by um, one of the teachers at the school I work at who uh, posted it to me and said, have you ever heard this? It's really quite remarkable. And then uh, began to sing it to me uh, around the corridors of the school. And this was, uh, I think this was towards the um, end of last season when we missed out on promotion. And so it was doubly hurtful. And I can't help feeling that he was doing it with a slight edge of um, 
of cheekiness and, and, and nastiness about the whole thing. Anyway, it's Ronnie Hilton and Leeds United Calypso, which uh, Ronnie was a uh, radio presenter. And uh, what was the other song he did? Uh, Windmills and Old Amsterdam, the old Ed Stupop favourite from Junior Choice. Right. Well, so, so, so Pedigree was there, uh, but he was a big Leeds fan. And that's not reflected in the song uh, because it, it basically goes through the team and lists them as being great. Um, and he is, I mean, in the current climate that we are now in, a white man doing a very much Caribbean cod accent all the way through um, and then referring to our one black player as does he come from Timbuktu uh, before heading into a really dubious Welsh accent to celebrate our Welsh player and using the phrase look you. Um, this is not a song we're going to play. Uh, uh, we're not going to we're not going to throw it in a canal or anything. No, no. But it, it really does belong in the history books. It did not chart, unlike the 1972 version of our anthem, which just for me we're going to play now. Leeds United with and never let it be said that footballers have no imagination a song called Leeds United which got to number 10 in the charts in 1972 so that would have been in uh, Don Revy's heyday wouldn't it John? Well he was coming towards the end of his heyday uh, we had a couple more years left before the Brian Clough incident uh, of which there is a <laughs> film you can go and watch um, this song though is, is fairly unique in football music history because it's the only one to have charted on three separate occasions in various forms this version the original in 1972 which got to number 10 in 1992 the year of our last champions uh, of england thing i can't call us premier league champions the premier league hadn't been invented yet and therefore <laughs> football hadn't been invented yet but uh we we would had won the league and so a version of this song which was actually called Leeds 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 then for obvious reasons uh, only got to number 54 presumably because we were all still out um, too drunk to care and were still celebrating the actual win rather than going out and buying a record um, it then made the charts again for no apparent reason at all in 2010 I think we may have been promoted from League One at that point that might be the reason but again 2010 being what it was and Leeds fans being what it was it again reached number 10 in the charts which is so which is quite something isn't it I mean it, it has all the hallmarks because this is the kind of time around 10 years ago when this happened a lot of one of those hey let's do an internet campaign and get it to go really high in the charts by buying lots of downloads I'm assuming it was available on download as well as on single otherwise I don't think it would have gone in so high so I suspect it was something to do with that maybe I think so, and I think uh, Chris Moyles, uh, ah, legendary yes. Leeds fan, may have had something to do with that, that as would well. Make as sense, I think he, yes. he was occupying the Radio One breakfast show at the time. But still, 
even off the back of that, number 10 in the charts for a team in League One, it just goes to show that once again we've got more money and more loyalty than possibly sense as Leeds fans. Uh, there have been other things that we've done um, as a club or that other people have uh, done for us. Uh, most notably, I think, the Amanda Palmer song, Leeds United. She was the then girlfriend of Ricky Wilson out of the Kaiser Chiefs. Oh, right. And uh, he gave her a Leeds shirt and she lost it and wrote a song about it because he got a bit fed up with her for losing this precious Leeds shirt they would given her. Nice of her to do that, though. I mean, when when Russell Brand gave uh, Katy Perry, wasn't it, that was going out with him at one point, I think, wasn't it? Is that right? I haven't imagined yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, have right. I? yeah, yeah, yeah I didn't yeah. dream that. No, that he, he, he gave her a West Ham top and then she did loads of chopping with it and then combined it into a kind of patchwork football shirt. It was actually quite nice. But did she do a song about making a patchwork shirt out of bits of West Ham kit? She did not. Shame on her. It just goes to show the loyalty that our mental club inspires. Um, let's move away from it because we could do an entire show, or at least I could do well, an you entire could, show. Well, you could, yes. But that would interest, well, not many people. So instead, let's head down to London and to the posh bit of London. Um, 1975, Viva El Fulham from Tony Reese and the Cottagers, which reached number 46. What have you got on this? What one? a lovely name. Uh, yes, uh, a simpler time when using the name The Cottagers in your band is perfectly normal. Um, yeah, it was when Fulham played us uh, and lost to West Ham in the cup final. As uh, Alf Garnet said, we let Bobby Moore go to Fulham at that point because, well, they play a gentler game don't they? Play a gentler game. Um, and uh, it is, as you might expect from the title, uh, a cover of Viva España. Of all things, I'm not sure why anyone thought this was a good idea, and uh, you can see why it didn't make the top 40. Right then, let's move across the park uh, to a club who, I think it's fair to say, neither of us really like. Um, and True. that's Chelsea. But they have done a fair few good songs give them their due. Uh, they started off in 1972 with a top five hit, uh, Blue is the Colour, uh, which, again, has that nice marching, back-homey yeah. style. This is what a football song is. Um, but I think the lyrics are quite good on Blue is the Colour. Yeah, reluctantly, I, I agree. It's not it, If you compare it to... I suppose it's vague contemporaries like the Arsenal one. Good old Arsenal. And it, it, you know, it's a bit thuggish, the Arsenal one, whereas the Chelsea one, as you would expect from the fancy Dans, um, as they were then, I'm sure you'll agree with this, um, has a bit more class about it, like they've put a bit more effort in. Yeah, reluctantly, it's okay, I guess. Not the same can be said for their 1994 effort, uh, no one can stop us now. Well, we are. We're going to not play it. It got to number 23 uh, in the charts, um, which was only slightly worse than their following two hits, both of which made number 22, and one of which featured a very credible artist, probably, I think, the most credible artist that's teamed up with a football uh, football club, at any rate. I'm going to hear a bit of it now. It's uh, Chelsea, Suggs & Co. and Blue Day. Forever. Our blood is blue and we would leave you never. And when we make it, it'll be together. 
It's Oblong Desk's occasional table and John and I are reviewing some football songs of the past and you just heard some of Blue Day from Chelsea Suggs & Co from 1997 as John said that got to number 22 Um, I don't have much to say about Chelsea in general Um, certainly not that can be used in a a family podcast so um, all I can say is this isn't the worst thing I've ever heard um, I suppose it, it, it has some quality thanks to Suggs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we as Leeds fans have a song about Chelsea, which again, I don't think we can... Uh, We've got loads. Say, but the, cor- <laughs> the chorus of it goes, we hate Chelsea, we hate Chelsea. I don't hate this by any means. I think it's really quite well put together. The chorus in particular, I mean, as you'd expect from a songwriter of Suggs's abilities is really quite good and it's pretty much as good as the stuff that he was churning out himself as solo stuff so it wasn't like he just knocked something out there's obviously a lot of care gone into this and i think this is one of the themes that we're going to sort of pull out of this episode is that you can make a football song sound good if you put some effort into it and a little bit of thought and i particularly as say the chorus for this i find myself singing along to it when it comes on the radio and uh, or, or when I listen to it, because it doesn't come on the radio. No, it doesn't come on the radio. At the, radio. Ti- at the time, it did. At it did the time, get a fair bit of airplay, didn't it, I think? Yeah, yeah. and, and, and it, it obviously learned his lesson from Top of the Pops and not called it something that began with an S, like score a goal, just in case uh, Chris Eubank was on that week when uh, when he was on performing <laughs> it. So, you know, he he's clearly learned from his mistakes there. We, we, he didn't want to repeat of the, the Thelia incident. No, absolutely. Um, and some uh, some reasonable good performances from the Chelsea contingent as well. There's a clear thing you need to do here, which is give them something nice and easy to sing and then keep them away from the verses as much as possible. Um, and they do that really quite well. In spite of everything, I think this is a really good song and I'm quite happy to have it here on our podcast as well. And uh, there you go, Chelsea fans. It's possible possible to do not the 2000s blue tomorrow that was awful that's terrible yes get rid <laughs> moving on <laughs> let's move on to something that you're going to enjoy much more which is um 1975 and west ham united who decided uh, that they would release i'm forever blowing bubbles an interesting version of this From 1975, that's my team, West Ham, and uh, I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles, a number 31 hit. So we beat Fulham in the final and in the chart, so that's nice. And um, what can I say? I mean, it's obviously a fantastic song, clearly. Um, No one really knows why we started singing it. Uh, Apparently the first team to have that song um, as a regular uh, tune that was sung on the terraces by the fans was Swansea um, back in I think the 20s or something um, but 
the theory goes that there was a popular advert for soap, I think, that used, not surprisingly, given the title of it, I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles as um, as its tune. And the West Ham fans started singing it because of that. It seems a bit unlikely, but that's, that's the best theory people have. Interesting. Uh, and one of those terrace anthems that actually has a tune behind it, actually has some words to get behind. And when it's sung by, well, what is it these days, 60-odd thousand? Something like that, yeah. Down the old Bullen Bush, down the old Olympic Stadium. It can sound quite emotive and moving, even to a uh, non-West Ham fan. It's it's just one of those songs you'd want to hear. I would say, I would argue, you know, the cop, where they get going, really have a song that's makes the pairs on the back of your neck stand on end. Um, I don't know how you feel about um, when we sing Marching On Together, whether um, it does the same thing for Indifferent, you. really. <laughs> but, but yeah, you're right. On, on, on the rare occasions where we have something to celebrate and the fans just launch into it, not so much at the start of the game or you know coming out for the second half or whatever, but when we're playing really well and the crowd just randomly launches into it, it is quite something. It has proper words. Um, and people people very unkindly point out how appropriate the the uh, just like my dreams they fade and die bit is if you're a West Ham supporter. Um, but but you know I don't care. I like it. Um, it's given its title to a fanzine as well that uh, Phil Jupiter's used to do uh, some writing and cartoons for. Fortune's Always Hiding was the name of the uh, fanzine. I used to buy that in the early 90s when we were really, really in the doldrums. Trevor Morley up front, Lee Chapman when he was practically unable to walk. You know the kind of thing. So uh, it's it, it's our song. I'm very proud of it. Probably worth mentioning the Cockney Rejects. Uh, punk band got a version of it into the charts in 1980 when we again won the cup final beating Arsenal Uh, their version got to number 35 not sure why there wasn't an official team song I'm not aware of one and then when we were in that cup final that we don't like to talk about in 2006 um, they did uh, a remixed version of that but it didn't get in the charts at all Uh, and this version seems to have a sort of uh, reggae type Yes, yes, it does. Um, it's got a kind of reggae lilt, let's say. Is that the right word? I don't know, maybe. Um, I think that's a can of pop, but uh, th- let's not <laughs> go there. We don't want to think about their adverts. They certainly wouldn't be on the telly anymore. Um, but, uh, yeah, it has. It's got a kind of uh, a reggae beat to it, and uh, it's not unpleasant. It's doing something slightly different, I suppose. Uh, I'm trying to think who would have inspired that at the time. I don't think we had uh, many players from the Caribbean then. I know the legendary Clyde Best from uh, Trinidad and Tobago, I believe, was uh, in our squad in the early 70s, but I think he'd gone by then. So maybe it was just the producer, just felt like doing it. Or perhaps he'd heard Barbados by Typically Tropical and thought, that's good, I'll do that. Our next section is devoted to Manchester United, which even more so than Chelsea, is a very hard thing for me to get through. So I'm going to do my best. Um, They are, as we mentioned at the top of the show, the most successful act, having no less than eight chart entries, seven of which made the top 40. Uh, They began inauspiciously in 1976 with Manchester United and the song Manchester United, learning from Leeds there, uh, but not doing as well. We followed up in 1983 um, with, I think, one of their best efforts, Glory, Glory Man United, 
Um, yeah, that one was all right. They followed that two years later with We All Follow Man United, uh, which made number 10. They were getting into the habit by 1993, and obviously that was the year that they finally, uh, after a bazillion years of failure, uh, managed to just about get the championship. And they called their song The Champions United Brackets We Love You Brackets Off. Strangely, given that they were that successful, that song only made number 37. But they did follow it up the following year with, uh, as mentioned before, the only time a football club has ever topped the UK singles chart uh, with Come On You Reds, uh, which was a collaboration with Status Quo. Yeah, well-known, not from Manchester, Manchester United fans. Who would have thought? Um, well, I don't think they are, are they? Not as far as I know. Um, no, 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 nowhere near Man United. No, no, but then, but then, most of United fans have an international base. Yeah, to their... but that was. Oh, look! So... I've seen them on the telly. They're successful. <laughs> yeah. I'll support them. <laughs> but that was based on uh, that was based on "Burning Bridges," wasn't it? By the Quo. So, which I do like as a Quo song. Um, obviously, the Man United version less so, but at least it, it's based on something good. It is, but it should never, ever, ever. Great British public have been number one. <laughs> no, it's true. Quite clear. The following year, and there was really a run on there which reflected Manchester United's dominance at this point, uh, where they had a hit with a band called Striker. I think it, no, it was a rapper. Striker. I think. I think it was. I think it was like a kind of rap thing. It was awful. That's all I can remember about it. It's called "We're Gonna Do It Again," which disappointingly they did. They followed that up uh, the year after 1996 with a hit called. Move, 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 brackets, the Red Tribe, brackets off, and that made number six. Did you listen to that one? I did. Yeah, it's not great. It's it? basically real to real, isn't it? I don't know if it actually is them, but that's it, that's what they've done. Someone's heard I like to move it, and uh, the clue's in the title, move, move, move. Uh, the depressing thing is that I'm pretty sure, without checking, that they got to exactly the same position in the chart. Um, certainly very close. What we're seeing here is that Manchester United fans seem to be buying things irrespective of quality, uh, a, practice, a practice taken up by the club itself yes. in recent years. <laughs> yes. um, 1999 was the last time that Manchester United decided to give the pop charts a go, and that was with the number 11 hit, lifted high, brackets, all about belief, brackets off. And that's dreadful uh, as they well. They do like their brackets, yes, yes. Now, there was one other thing that we, we found which was associated with Manchester United, and probably the best thing of the lot. Do you want to take that one on? Oh, is that the U.R. Cantona song that we're referring to here? Yes, it is. Yeah, yes. so that was that was by 13 drum, uh, 1300 Drums, uh, featuring the unjustified ancients of Moo, but Moo, of course, meaning M-U. Do you see what they did there? And I think I can see what they've done. There. Yes, I think at the time there was a feeling that this was actually the KLF in disguise, but that makes no sense at all. Um, as far as I know, uh, they have no allegiance to any football team, or at least if they have, they haven't declared it. And Bill Drummond, in any case, is Scottish. But uh, yeah, it, it's obviously it's just a name. Uh, but the song itself is okay, and it did all right that one. Yeah, number eleven. Number eleven again. Yeah. You may be wondering why we haven't bothered playing any of these, but, you know, I'm a Leeds fan. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Instead, let's play uh, something from possibly the most iconic footballer of his generation. We're going back to 1979, and just so that we at least get his name in once properly, it's Kevin Keegan. And it looks like I'm falling all over again. 
Oblong Desk's occasional table and we are reviewing some football songs and there is the man himself, the legend of the perm, Mighty Mouse as they called him in his stint in Germany, Kevin Keegan and Head Over Heels in Love, number 31 in 1979 and of course he was in Germany at the time that came out, I think it was number one in the German chart from memory Um, and uh, it should have done better over here because do you know what? That's a perfectly fine pop song, and it's sung in a reasonably good way. There's nothing particularly bad about it, surprisingly. Although he does have that kind of greeny face all the way through. He sort of looks like a poor man's Leo Sayer, and (laughs) maybe people were confused by that. I mean, he gives it everything. You've got to say, he throws himself 100% into this. There's no knowing smirk about this. There's no irony in it. Um, he's genuinely singing it with all his heart and soul and he genuinely thinks he's a pop star. I don't know that it's that great, but again, I'm surprised that only reached number 31 because it's Kevin Keegan and he's singing. And like you say, it's not bad at all. You'd think it would do better. I do wonder if it's maybe to do with the fact that he was um, playing in Germany for Hamburg at the time. So I guess he would have been around to do lots of promotion there, which may be why it did so well. But I guess not so much in England. Perhaps that's why, you know, it didn't do it. I mean, I seem to remember it it got a spot on top of the pops, but I am 99% certain that the clip they played was him doing it on Musikladen, which is the German equivalent. Um, so he wasn't around to promote it here on Top of the Pops, therefore I assume he didn't do a great deal. Maybe that's so. Now, of course, Kevin started his career uh, at Scunthorpe Yay. and then had a big money move to Liverpool, and it's to Liverpool that we move next. They started off their uh, pop career. They've had five entries into the chart and in fact if you include the remix of the Anfield rap uh, then it's six but we're not going to include that because we don't like to talk about it it was really quite awful um, they started off in 1977 with we can do it uh, which got to number 15 they did do it that year they I did think it was a uh, league and European cup double yes that sounds right and and that's a cover of a Rubet song by the way right uh, 1983 we move on to then uh, we're firmly into the Paisley era now and the dominance of Liverpool so they had a song called Liverpool We're Never Gonna <laughs> dot 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 uh, with a double A side of Liverpool Anthem that is as bad as it sounds and only got to number 54 so they came back in the double winning year of 1986 with Sitting on Top of the World uh, which again failed to trouble the charts number 50 that got to i have got some facts about that sitting on top of the world song so it's written by tony hiller who was brotherhood of man's producer now if you look at his uh biography on any of the usual websites you might be able to find uh he's had a hand in many many terrible football songs including ones by palace and everton that we're mentioning in this show um and have you actually listened to this uh, liverpool song from 86 didn't get round you didn't get right well i can tell you it bears a striking resemblance and this is particularly unfortunate in the times we live in to the theme from it ain't half hot mum right shall we move on that's a worry (laughs) shall we uh because whilst there was a poor start to the career it was about to get utterly utterly awesome take it away barnsey Liverpool FC is hard as hell, United Tottenham Arsenal. 
Watch my list and I will spell Cause they don't just play but they can rap as well My idea was it to build Liverpool into a bastion of invincibility, you know, like... Napoleon had that idea, he would conquer the bloody world. That's Liverpool's song from 1988. It got to number three in the chart. It's Anfield Rap, Red Machine in full effect, in brackets. And uh, just one question for you. Hey, you starting? <laughs> hey, you start. Hey, uh, hey. This is, this is, oh, it's almighty. I mean, it quite deservedly got to number three. The... They were probably spending so much time on this, they took their eye off the ball and lost to Wimbledon <laughs> in the cup final. Um, but this is a far better legacy, I think. Um, it's got John Barnes in it, who was absolutely quality in terms of every football song he's ever appeared on, or both of them. It's got horrible racial stereotypes that they all play up to. It's got some fantastic rhymes in it. It was written by um, Craig Johnston, the Australian curly-haired Kevin Keegan lookalike, uh, who, as he always used to say in the song, sat on the bench. Yes, he did, uh, and did very little uh, except come off the bench. And, and uh, but he, it, it's funny. It it's is good. brilliantly performed good. by all of them. And do you know what? It, you can sing along with it. And, and the way they absolutely murder "You'll Never Walk Alone" in the chorus <laughs> is joy. It's everything a football song should be, and. Uh, I love it to it, so I'm so pleased that it charted and did so well. And it still gets played now. Yeah, it does. It's just mean, it, a quality piece of music. On my on my uh, radio show, Switchback, on Switch Radio every Sunday, 5 till 7, listener, um, I have a rule where I don't generally play um, club songs by football teams because it's just too divisive, really. Um, the One of the very, very few exceptions is the Anfield rap because it is too brilliant to skip. I mean, it wasn't in the chart for very long anyway. Six weeks in all in the top 75 isn't a great deal, is it, really? But um, it's uh, it's magnificent. The only thing that could be improved on it is if they hadn't used Brian Moore because I think Brian Moore is as wooden as hell. Um he he was never my favourite commentator. I always thought he was a little bit um, overrated, and uh, as evidenced by the Euro '96 repeats that they've had on ITV. By that point, uh, I know that's a little bit further on, but even in '88, he was well past his sell-by date. So Brian Moore is extremely wooden, but the rest of them are brilliant. Yeah, and uh, some really nice, funny touches all the way through. I think Grobler is uh, a particular star. Yes, he's a highlight. Uh, you can take the mick. But don't call me a clown. <laughs> and Nigel Spackman as well, doing more on that record than he did his in his entire Liverpool career. Yes, a whole two lines. He's from London, mate, so watch your game. We we have gone on about this far too long. <laughs> 1996 was Liverpool's final attempt at the charts, and that was Liverpool and the Boot Room Boys with a Z, because it's 96. Um, with pass and move, it's the Liverpool groove. Well, no, sorry, should have re-released Anfield Rap. 
Yeah, it's it, it, it's another one of those from that era, along with the Man United one we mentioned with Stryker, where they seem to try to get down with the kids, with a Z again, and um, failed miserably. It, it's terrible. Let's go across Stanley Park to uh, the first ever recorded football pop song, because Liverpool have been successful in many things on Merseyside but Everton do get there first and uh, 1963 Everton's Forever Everton I see what they did there first time footballers had ever gone into a recording studio and sung something Um, they would have to wait as is so often the case with Everton quite a long time for their next hit and that was in 1985 uh, which was the year they won the league I think yeah and uh, they had a song called Here We Go, which reached number 14. And it's actually quite a good song. It is It is just the repetition of the words, here we go, over and over again. But given that Debbie Gibson came along three years later and pulled off exactly the same trick with Shake Your Love, it's quite difficult to criticise on that basis. This is one of uh, Tony Hiller's songs. You know, I mentioned him a little bit earlier. Um, and I said at the time he'd done loads of dreadful football songs. Well, this one's probably one of the better ones. You can see why it did well, really. It, it's, it's all right. And it's it's a song that lots of football teams sang at the time, didn't they? It was just, it wasn't even a, a, a team specific song it was just something that fans sang is, is my recollection so it, it, it was you know something everyone was going to know it's not exactly hard to sing along with let's be honest and I think from memory they did actually tweak some Everton lines in there they did I, I yeah I think it went something like here we go here we go here we go Everton are the best we all know that's it they're supreme is it some like something about supreme they're the dream number one or something like that and we love you Everton why do I remember this stuff and not important things like where my socks are? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, 1995 was Everton's final assault on the charts. Again, this was for a cup final, which I think they beat Manchester United. They in. did, yeah. Uh, and uh, this was a reworking of the farms altogether now. With Peter Hooten um, on vocals. Yeah. Um, number 24. I. It's all right, this. I mean, Peter Hooten obviously sounds... A little bit older, his voice is a little bit different. He's probably not trying quite so hard, maybe. The thing that I object to on this song is the female vocal, which is absolutely dreadful. I don't know who it is, but um sounds like Sonia on a really bad day. Perhaps it is. <laughs> that, that is that is bad, isn't it? Right. Well done, Everson. Let's go back down to the capital and um we mentioned them at the top. There really is when it comes to the nineteen eighties and football songs and FA Cup final songs, really only one team, and that is Spurs. And we're going to play a bit of their very first attempt to uh, make us love them. It's Tottenham Hotspur with Aussie's Dream, brackets, Spurs are on their way to Wembley.
That's Tottenham Hotspur with an uncredited Chas and Dave. It's interesting how they never took a credit on any of their uh, collaborations. Aussie's Dream Spurs are on their way to Wembley from 1981 when they won the Cup. Um, and uh, that got to number five in the charts. So it was a very big hit. And it's the one everyone remembers, isn't it? Uh, mainly for the line from uh, Aussie Ardiles, who was going to win the Cup for Tottingham. Yes. It was very cute, and he sang it. I mean, you know, he was Argentinian, which at the time was not a popular nationality to be, and he played for Spurs, which, from my point of view, was not a popular thing to be, and, and from your point of view also. <laughs> yes, even more yeah. So. so, but yet there's something about Ozzy Ardiles that you can't dislike. He's just a really nice guy, and yeah. sang this in such a cute way. And Chaz and Dave, I'm a massive fan of anyway. They know how to do this kind of thing brilliantly they write really good lyrics that you know in a kind of Badil and Skinner way when they say oh it touches yes it gets to the nub of what this is all about I think this gets to the nub of what being a Spurs fan is all about yeah and you know reluctantly given how much you know we're predisposed to hate Spurs although Chelsea have kind of quite up there in my uh, hatred stakes these days but uh, yeah they um they they did a good job with this and uh, just just be thankful that Ozzy got the comedy line and they didn't try to get I don't know Steve Archibald to do it or something and and particularly thank goodness I think he was in the team at this point Garth Crooks had no major involvement in the song whatsoever or he'd still be talking about it now while looking fat on a sofa somewhere. <laughs> the following year, uh, Chaz and Dave again, uncredited are back with Tottenham, Tottenham, and this is the one that goes, we're going to do it like we did last year. And they did, they did annoyingly. Yeah. Uh, the song, not quite as good, uh, and got to number 19. Um, and then we move forward to 87, where actually... Uh, in some listings, Chaz and Dave are credited, and in others, not. Ah, that it's one, there's a lot of records like this down the years. Believe me, as a as a chart book um, expert, I should know. So it could be that maybe on the sleeve it said one thing, and on the on the label it said another, mm. possibly. But this one for me, possibly, possibly, the the most poppy and the one where the Spurs players get involved the most, and they did have hoddle and waddle on the books at this mm. point uh, for hot shot tottenham so a meeting of the minds there a meeting of musical giants Chad and dave and hoddle and waddle. yeah and, and hoddle particularly takes a very lead role in this yeah and it, it got one place higher than the previous one number 18 uh, so again it did pretty well really it, it's funny i can remember the words to this even though i haven't heard it in years hot shot tottenham we are the super spurs Everyone knows that we're the football connoisseurs. If you forgive me, I now have to go and rinse my hands repeatedly for the next 15 minutes, having said that out loud. But, um, you know, it says a lot that I can at least remember that without having heard it recently. Yeah, and, and as we said, um, for Chaz and Dave to keep coming back and doing these things, they now knew what was expected of them. Um, and that was all about to end <laughs> yes. four years Four years later, uh, when the year ended in 1, 1991, of course, by this time, Spurs were convinced that they didn't have to have a good team. They just had to rely on the dates being in alignment. Um, having, I think, one, it was it 1961, 1971 and 1981. They'd won something and in each of those years, hadn't they? It, yes. wasn't, it was either the cup or the league in each of those years, I think. So, yes, it, it was lucky for Spurs when the year ends in one. Uh, this was 
uh, Give Me a London Girl, wasn't it? London Girls. Oh, is uh, it? Is it one of the, uh, yes. Yeah. Which is so a good song. I think by this, it, yes, London Girls is an excellent yeah. song. There's an even better version of it by Tori Amos, which is absolutely bizarre. Um, the original and the Tori Amos version are both much better than the Spurs version of it. Um, and this one got to number 44. Which is about Quite right. deservedly. Yes, yes, agreed. Right. Now, we've been teasing them. I think the only thing we can do now is play them. It's Hoddle and Waddle, Glenn and Chris. Oh, yes, Diamond Lights. truly mullet mungus sound of Glenn and Chris from 1987 Diamond Lights a number 12 hit and arguably could have done even better I think I think it's a bit unlucky not to make the top 10 I mean I make no bones about this Glenn Hoddle is not one of my favourite people in the world he was a superb player you know even as a West Ham fan I thought he was a fantastic player very badly treated by England down the years played out of position not played at all um, and uh, He's since, unfortunately, shown himself to be a terrible manager, a terrible commentator, and, of course, at times, as we know, uh, through his England sacking, a not-very-nice person as well. Um, but Chris Waddle, he's a lovely bloke, isn't he? So, um, you know, I think you've got to give it to them. They, um, they did a good job on this. It's a good song. To me, they had a look of, like, they were trying to go down the Pet Shop Boys route a little bit in their look. You've got the curly-haired <laughs> one. And the one who, I mean, Chris Waddle and Chris Lowe could almost be body doubles. Um, the song itself, it has a bit of a sound of Sam Fox's Touch Me to it. Yes, a little bit. That kind of slowed down moodiness. And they really go for it. The, the, I think it's a really interesting song. Do you know who it was written by? Uh, I'm sure I do, but it's not coming to mind, so you'll have to tell me. Right, yeah. It, Bob Pusey, who also wrote the Nolan sisters, I'm in the mood for dancing. Wow, there's a thing. Well, uh, fair enough. I mean, to have two quality songs like that, and probably more, I dare say, if he was a, a well-known uh, songwriter for hire. Yeah, fair enough then. I mean, Glenn Hoddle, of course, took it all incredibly seriously, didn't he? Chris Waddle, not so much. I think he's said repeatedly since that he wasn't that bothered that they had no more hits. So there was a follow-up, of course, wasn't there? Yeah, called It's Goodbye, which never got released and- for, I think think reasons of one of them i think it was chris waddle was about to disappear off yes that's right to monaco uh was it monaco or marseille marseille wasn't it i think marseille yeah that's marseille right. yeah, yeah. Glenn down went, there glenn hoddle went to monaco didn't he um yes so yeah it was either one or both of them were about to disappear it, it is listed as having got to number 92 in the chart on the official charts website so it must have sneaked out there but i suspect it just wasn't promoted at all and you know a, a few fans of spurs and or mullets probably went out and bought it but to the rest of the record buying public you wouldn't have really known no it's transcended kind of football status there hasn't it? it's gone into that kind of 
legend. Yeah. Even people who don't know football know Diamond Lights. Um, and yeah, the follow-up, It's Goodbye, is also worth seeking out because it's it all may right, well be even better. Yeah, it's not a bad song at all. I mean, if it wasn't for the circumstances, you'd imagine that might have scraped into the top 40. Um, yeah. But yeah, check it out. It's, it's not bad at all. Let's go for a very big hit now. Um, I'm not sure quality is the right word, but definitely a legend. It's Gaza and Lindisfarne, the one we're breaking the rules for. Sitting in a sleazy snack bar, sucking sickly sausage rolls. In a dirty old town on the back of the time, setting my sights on gold. It's plain to see, it's black and white. This Geordie boy's gonna do alright. Gonna make you dance, gonna make you sing. Those Geordie boys do anything. Tell it like it is today, we'll take its time to tell you what tonight might bring. They'd spur you on in London town when you hear those Geordie sing. Sing. That's Gazza and Lindisfarne here on Oblong Desk's Occasional Table from 1990. That got to number two in the chart. Fog on the Tyne revisited. And another question for you here, a rhetorical question perhaps. Have you ever sucked a sickly sausage roll? Can't say I have. Not a sickly one. No. Uh, I've, I've sucked a Greg's one. That was an unpleasant experience. Near enough. Um, do you know what? This is a lot better than the original. Is it? The, the original <laughs> Lindisfarne sure? hit. The original Lindisfarne hit is slow and pedestrian and has that real kind of folky nothingness about it that makes it completely unremarkable. It's no, it, you know, the, you've got things like the, like Meet Me on the Corner. That's a good Which song. is a fantastic Run for song. Home. That's an absolute yeah. classic, isn't it? Yeah. And, and even Lady Eleanor, which is um, very, very slow and kind of maudlin, but it, it's got something about it. So, yeah, I suppose in, in Lindisfarne terms, it's probably the least good of their well-known songs i'll give you that yeah and and, and then along comes gaza with his plastic boobs <laughs> and he's crying in the world cup i mean gaza was massive at this point there's no way it wasn't going to be a hit and he could literally have done anything and he just does this with such abandon and such you know he looks and seems like he'd had several cans of Nuki Brown before he attempted this. Um, it's incoherently brilliant. Well, there was an album, of course, it wasn't there? There was a whole album of this. That's how popular Gaza was. And and they, yeah. weren't, they weren't all with Lindisfarne. I think some of them were, but um, there were other songs as well. I mean, I like the follow-up, the highly amusing follow-up that came out just in time for Christmas, which just scraped into the top 40. Geordie Boys, brackets, Gaza rap. <laughs> I mean, that that is hilarious. Um, oh, I, I was we very, nearly played that. I was very pleased to pick that up. Genuinely, I'm not joking. Very pleased to find a cheap copy of that on cd single so that is in my collection and you know what i'm not embarrassed at all it is blooming marvelous um but that was it for gaza hits though there, there were no more the entirety of this it's novelty it's big it's brash it's everything gaza is and i think it's a fitting end to our songs that we're playing but we do have a few more that we couldn't play because they were not by footballers, but deserved mentions anyway. Um, 1983, Brighton and Hove Albion, the boys in the old Brighton blue. 
got to number 65. I thought I thought uh, they, they had... there were some footballers on this, weren't there? I'm sure they turned up on top of the pops to do this one, and, and it was supposed to be the squad. I think the way they looked at these was it wasn't actual footballers... You know, they, they, they weren't on the record. They may have turned ah, up okay. to do promotional stuff, yeah, but they weren't okay. actually credited on the record. I, I did have a look at this one, and I noticed the sleeve in, in what is perhaps the most optimistic subtitle of all time says limited edition. Um, but that didn't help it much, did it, really? No. This would have um, been in the Steve Foster era, right? Yes. Do you remember that guy yes, who always used headband. to play in a yeah, white yeah, headband? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's another Brighton one, uh, Tom Hark brackets we want farmer with seagull scar yeah it's it's tom hark isn't it basically it's um it's we want farmer sung to the tune of tom hark so this was when uh there was a big uh they, they, they were homeless for a while weren't they i mean i've got a lot of respect for brighton there, there aren't many other teams in the premier league who i would kind of throw out a line for and say yeah good for them but i've got a soft spot for brighton because they did let's not let's not forget, almost go out of business and now they're in the Premier League. They they were homeless at this point and uh, they had no ground so Falmer was the original name obviously it's now got a sponsored name that was the uh, proposed new ground back then and the council were having a bit of a barney about it weren't they and refusing to let them have planning permission or something and this song was part of that campaign I believe. Coventry City uh, got a hit uh, but again, not sung by them for the 87 Cup final, uh, which is called Go For It. That got to number 61. They won it, obviously, that year. Yeah, and again, they turned up to promote it. I remember them being on, not Top of the Pops, Wogan or something like that. So they were at least pretending to sing it, the squad. But I, I, I'm not sure either whether they were. Um, have you listened to this one? I think it's all right, actually. It's got a proper verse chorus bridge type thing going on yeah yeah it's not bad at all i do have an issue with them they beat a leeds in the semi-final that year when we were <laughs> but, but at least two team <laughs> but at least they had the good grace to beat spurs in the final so that's all right yeah, um, you see i was rooting for spurs in that oh final. okay well I, I i will say this trevor's at his peak is one of the worst puns in any of these songs trevor peak was a coventry player mm. just in case you didn't get that one good uh, yeah, no, no, not not a particular fan of this, but that's personal reasons. And I, I do love Bob Mortimer, and I do love Chris Rea, but there's very little to give the 1997 effort that they recorded for Middlesbrough uh, any kudos at all it's really just a lazy reworking of let's dance yeah and and there was a fair bit of publicity for that at the time but it just missed the top 40 foul four places short 2002 and Lincoln City with this sounds and reads as bad as it looks i'm sure michael courtney singing as chirpy chirpy cheap cheap or if you prefer the double a of that jagged end and number 64 smash i have nothing to say about this i don't want to hear about their jagged end and i'm quite quite glad i don't want to hear the other side either no well chirpy chirpy cheap cheap's a horrendous song at the best of times it doesn't need covering it's certainly not by people associated with footballers uh 2004 and um oh dear millwall uh their cup final song oh millwall well done millwall number 41 so as close as you can get without actually winning anything and as you know which i believe also happened yes it did and as you know i don't comment on that lot at all no. Uh, they always seem to beat us, so I'm not a particular fan either. Uh, uh, 2007, and here they are, the Wurzels. 
we've had the pastiche, now the real thing. Uh, singing for Bristol City, one for the Bristol City. Yes. You can tell it's genuine because obviously any normal person would have sung one for Bristol City. Uh, but this is for the Bristol City. I'm not going to do the accent. We've already done the accent. No, no, we won't do that. But it was. Um, it seemed... I was trying to work out what this was for, and I think, as far as I can tell, and uh, we know a Bristol City fan, don't we? Hi, Phil, if you're listening. Uh, he will be able to confirm. It appears to have come out because they'd just got in the championship, which has to be one of the... I mean, you know, fair enough. We mentioned the Yeovil one. They'd just got promoted, but this is Yeovil we're talking about. Bristol City going from League One to the championship doesn't seem particularly worthy of a song maybe that's why it only got to number 66 it's as high as they'll get and uh, their current manager does have an issue with us and keeps slagging us off so they're going down in my estimations i had no problem and no issue with bristol or the city of it but yeah lee johnson needs to pipe down a little bit oh it's him isn't it time of recording yes agree (laughs) uh one year later and across the bristol channel to Cardiff City, uh, who employed James Fox to sing Bluebirds Flying High. This, again, I think is a cup final effort. Yes, and it got to been. number 15. Yeah, and have you listened to this? I gave it a listen because I, I didn't remember it. It's not bad, is it? It mentions Peter Ridsdale, though. Would you like to make any comments on, on Peter Ridsdale, or, or are we just going <laughs> to file that under not necessary? Well, you see, at odds with a lot of Leeds fans, I'm always of the opinion that the emotional roller coaster of the Ridsdale years, I'm glad we lived through it. We had our highs and we had our lows, and if football is not about highs and lows, then what is it about? Then you become an Everton fan. I think it's just a series (laughs) of lows and mediocrities. (laughs) We had the glory of the Champions League semi-final and the glory of finishing, I think, third in the league and all these kind of things that seem like pipe dreams now. I, uh, and uh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad I'm glad we had that. Yeah, I, I'm, so, I'm with yes. you on that. I mean, our equivalent is Harry Redknapp. Now, I, I'm not a fan of Harry Redknapp. The Cockney geezer shtick and, and ubiquity on ITV now he's won the jungle thing is really getting on my nerves. And um, it's quite well known in the game exactly what he did and why he left West Ham. But uh, I think that's still an allegedly, so I won't mention that. Um, but... Uh, you know, I wouldn't have swapped our time with Harry for the world either because, uh, my goodness, it was never boring. Whether that was buying players who went off to live in a caravan and couldn't be found, buying Romanians based on one international performance and then then swanning <laughs> off down Oxford Street shopping when they should have been on the bench, or, you know, ridiculous 5-4 wins over Bradford City. All of that stuff, you know, I wouldn't have swapped that for the world. So, yes, I, I'm with you on that one. But going back to the Cardiff song... Uh, that uh, that only peaked two places lower than James Fox's other um, Fame Academy, wasn't he? Fame Academy-inspired hit. So, you know, to have two hit singles and your football one's only just the smallest. And uh, he did the Sky F1 theme tune, that uh, Just Drive song, which I'm not sure they use now, but they did for many, many years. So uh, he obviously loves his sport, does James. There's only one more thing to do before we toddle off away from our occasional table, and that is to pick our favourite of the songs that we've played today. Um, 
Do you want to go first? Ooh, yeah, it's a toughie, actually. This tougher than I thought it would be. Um, I'm ignoring Chelsea completely for obvious reasons. Um, and I'm not a massive fan of the Gaz song. Diamond Lights is a good one. I do like that. And um, I'm almost tempted to give it to Cluffy for comedy reasons alone. Um, and I feel bad at neglecting my team. But I think the best song, regardless of what team you support here, that we've played is Anfield Rap. And I would concur. I cannot fault it. Also in there, like you say, the cloffy one's good. I think you know, the righty one is better than it should be. And I do like Chaz and Dave. If I could pick one, obviously, it would be the other version of Leeds, Leeds, Leeds. But we're not allowed to do that. Uh, so, yeah, Anfield rap for me. Hey, hey, a full house there. Yeah, so uh, a, a full house all round for Liverpool, a league title and an oblong desk double <laughs> they'll, they'll be proud of that shall we are you going to phone jürgen or shall i i'm sure we should get him on for the next episode that would be a coup right then listener that'll do for this we will be back obviously with our regular desks don't forget you can message us if you'd like to comment on anything we've done at the oblong desk on facebook or indeed Twitter, you can head to our website, which is oblongdesk.podbean.com, where you can also download all of the things that we've done, and there's lots of fun and games to be had elsewhere on the site as well. Uh, It remains for me to say cheerio, Noakes, and best of luck to the Hammers. And uh, the best of luck to you and your promotion quest as well. Hopefully we'll both be successful, and we'll speak to you again, listener, soon. Occasional Table is the work of Noakes and John Tyndall with original music by John. Subscribe to the podcast and get all the episodes at oblongdesk.podbean.com. Oblong Desk.